As perhaps some of you have heard, most of you perhaps, I uh, found out I had a, caught a strain of influenza, and uh, I thank God I only passed out twice, uh, Monday morning and Tuesday morning. I think I passed out Tuesday morning anyway, uh, and I kind of woke up feeling not so refreshed, shall we say. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, I, I found any time I have any sickness, it all goes through, through my throat, and it takes away my voice. So bronchitis, voice. Laryngitis, voice goes. Cold, voice goes. Influenza, apparently, voice goes. Stub my toe, voice goes. Well, maybe not quite that bad. But I will keep it short because I need to reserve uh, whatever uh, limit I have for confirmation as well. But as we gather today, we hear this cleansing. And of course, it occurs in John's Gospel. It occurs at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the other Gospels, it, it occurs towards the end and immediate preparation for Jesus' death and resurrection. But here at the beginning, it kind of sets the course for Jesus' ministry, that this is what he is about to do, that he is to make the people new, fresh. Uh, and in order to understand this, perhaps we need to understand a little bit of the, uh, the structure of the, the temple itself. And the best way to do this without having an actual map in front of us or, or a chart in front of us is to imagine rings. The innermost ring of the, the Holy of Holies, the, the temple was the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant had been kept uh, before the Babylonian exile. It was taken and hidden away uh, by Jeremiah in the Babylonian, or right before the Babylonian exile, and it was never restored. But the Jewish people continued to have that Holy of Holies there. It was the Holy of Holies that uh, the high priest was allowed to enter once a year. Uh, the the uh, legend is that he would have bells around the hem of his garments and a rope around his waist so that, God forbid, should he be struck dead, he could be pulled out without anyone else entering into the Holy of Holies. He would go in there once a year. He would say the name of God and offer appropriate sacrifice. Outside that Holy of Holies was the court of the Jews, so a little bit bigger circle where only the Jewish priests could go, or those immediately helping them, the Levites. That, that, that was where the sacrifice was offered and those things. Outside of that was the, was the court of the men, where the, the Jewish men would come forward with their offerings. They would offer them to the priests, who then, of course, would take it into the court of the priests and offer that. Outside of that was the court of the Jews where any Jewish person, man, woman, or child, could go. And outside of that was the court of the Gentiles where all could go freely. It is suggested that when Jesus came to the temple area, he entered that court of the Gentiles as he was going to move into those upper circles, but uh, walked into the court of the Gentiles to see there those who sold oxen, sheep, doves, and the money changers. There, he gets upset. And we have to remember, anger is not a sin. Jesus, at this moment, is angry because there is an injustice that is here, an injustice that is present. And, of course, he responds uh, on, on one level very harshly, but in, in, because of what they were doing, in a way, very justified anger and very justified actions. They were providing a necessary service 
let's back up. After all, we, uh, not everyone carried around uh, the exact coinage that was used in the temple area. If you want to imagine uh, a vending machine, not every vending machine takes dollar bills or five dollar bills. So you have to, you have to make, make the proper change. That's what the money changers were there to do. And to offer sacrifice, well, the sacrifice had to be unblemished. You could not have a flaw. Can you imagine walking 100, 200 miles with a, either a sheep or an oxen in tow and get there and all of a sudden you realize my oxen has a limp. My, my sheep uh, broke, broke a leg or, or whatever it is and now that, that offering is no longer valid. It's blemished. It's worthless for the sacrifice. And so those that sold the oxen, sheep, and doves are providing a necessary service too. So those that, that were traveling could, could come and they could offer proper sacrifice. They could buy the sacrifice there and be able to take it then into the court, take it to the court of the Jews, uh, take it through the court of the men and the court, up to the court of the priests to be offered. A necessary thing, but not where it was being sold not where they had set up camp, not in the court of the Jews or court of the Gentiles, because that was the house of prayer for all peoples. And so Jesus is consumed with zeal and cleanses the temple. And of course, we hear in our second reading, the Jews ask for signs, the Greeks, Greeks for wisdom, and we see that playing out in the, the I, I love how, how Paul is just so blunt. We see that play, played out. What sign can you do for this? Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The sign is his death and resurrection. That's the sign of his authority. And they, they, they misunderstand though. And this temple has been under construction for 46 years. I forgot to mention it. This is the second, second temple, the temple that was built after the Babylonian exile. Herod the Great, whom we hear about in, in the... Uh, uh, Christmas narratives, the one who got paranoid and, and was afraid of the child Jesus and, and had slaughtered the innocents, the, the Herod the Great that the Magi had come to that we hear in Matthew's Gospel. The same Herod the Great undertook this renovation process of the temple and the area around the Temple Mount, so much so that uh, they found a road in, in the uh, excavations uh, this 30, 40 years ago already, but uh, they found a road that had just been constructed uh, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Herod the Great had, had stored up money and had sought this, even though he was not fully Jewish, he saw the need for this reconstruction of the temple area. So the Jewish people said, well, you know, the temple has been under construction for 46 years, you're going to destroy it and build it up in three days? It gives us a chance to re remember what a temple is. A temple is a place of encounter with God. And so while Jesus is concerned about the temple area as a place of encounter for all peoples, a house of prayer for all peoples, as we hear about in the other gospel passages on the cleansing, it's Jesus' body, his very body, that is the temple of God. That it is God incarnate walking among us. In this year for the Eucharist, perhaps we, we need to remember that when we receive Jesus Christ, we receive God. And 
if his body is the temple, we as the body of Christ are the temple. We construct our churches much in the same way, by the way, as the Jewish temple. We have the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, the court of the priests, the court of the Gentiles, or Jews, and, and on and on. But, but it's us, the body of Christ. And if Jesus is so concerned about making that temple of the Jews cleansed, how much so is he making us, desires us to be cleansed? This, by the way, is why we have the commandments. So often when we look at the commandments, we see a, a list of restrictions and uh, prescriptions, a list of laws that we shall not break and all those things. And yeah, there, there's that element to it. I, I have to admit, uh, I have it in my breviary because I just find it funny. But we, in a recent box of charcoal that we get for burning of incense, there, were, there was a list of like nine little rules of how to use this, this product. And rule number three gets me every time I read it. Do not light briquette while holding in hand. It's a rule, right? Thou shalt not light that briquette while holding. You're welcome to do it. You can break that rule if you want. But you're going to get burned. And the same is true with any of the commandments. God doesn't impose them on us. He tells us, if you want to live, if you want to have a good life, if you want to, to uh, have the consequences of, of all good things, these are the rules you need to follow. Worship me. Honor my name. Do not misuse it. Keep holy the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. I like that one. For then you shall live long in the land. I keep pointing out my mother, she keep, kept telling me, I brought you into the world and I can take you out. But we, we know these commandments are what we need. But we need to go beyond the commandments. Because our Lord raises that bar time and again. It's not enough to say, I haven't killed anyone. But he tells us elsewhere. When, if we've called our brother a fool, we'll be liable to Gehenna. If, if, we, if we treat our, our neighbor poorly, we'll be liable. If, if, we, if we don't love our neighbor, we'll be responsible. The commandments are not just rules, but they help us to live a right life. And they remind us that the consequences of breaking them are often devastating. Not just a breaking of a rule, but a breaking of a relationship. A breaking of the relationship with God who loves us, who has created us in his image and likeness. A God who holds us in his hands, who made, made us. A God who wants to dwell with us. A God who wants us to be cleansed and purified, that he may find a dwelling place in us. That this day, as we receive our Lord in this Eucharist, that he may come and dwell in us, cleansed, becoming the temple that he has created us to be.